0: This is the audio of Bible study taught by Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can find our website at goodshepherdlincoln.org, and there's a a treasure trove of other information available there as well. Uh, Let's get into Bible study now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All right. We are working our way through Genesis um, chapter 3 right now. And we are working our way through Genesis 3, 1 through 5. Um, if we get any further than that, we'll just keep on reading. Um, we've been talking about how Satan works and who he is. And can everybody hear me okay? Is that loud enough? Okay. He is an angel, he was created by God. But he, in pride, fell into sin. And now, everything that he does, he does in an effort to undermine God and God's Word. And so, the way he does that is by deception, by telling lies, by changing what God's Word says. And that's what we were talking through last time in Genesis, 1, or Genesis 3, 1 through 5. So I'm going to read that again, and we're going to pick up where we left off with Satan and how he works. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, "'Did God actually say, "'You shall not eat of any tree in the garden?'' with God's Word. And we talk about these three things. Doubt, contradiction, and lies. He puts God's Word and its truthfulness truthfulness in doubt by just asking questions about it. And then he directly contradicts it. That's not true. And then he lies, telling you a benefit you get for rejecting God's Word that is not actually true. And we see this in all sorts of ways still playing out in our modern times and in our modern society. Okay, so we talked about the transgender movement last time. We could do it with all sorts of things, (laughs) right? Even... um, Even like the oh, I'm going to get in trouble here but I'm going to do it anyways so prepare to throw things at me even things like the ideas that are behind the American dream in in this this regard the American dream in one sense is for you to be what successful and wealthy because behind that is the idea whoever dies with the most toys wins, right? And I'm not saying it's bad to be successful. It's good. I'm not saying it's bad to have money. It's, it can be good. But when it becomes the sole driver of your life, we have a problem. Because what does God say? Where do we live for? For the things we have here? No, no for the things that are to come. Store up your treasure where moth and rust do not destroy. Um, if you live only for here, what does God say? Is it good or bad? We could just be simple. <laughs> the world says it's good, right? And it advertises this all the time, right? This is, why, um, this is why you hear so much about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey right now, right? Do you guys know who they Okay, Everybody? Don't you wonder why that particular couple is in the news? Because they're both super successful, and the world says, look at them. Shouldn't you be like they are? Wouldn't that be the best thing possible? Okay? What's, what's, the, what's the lie that comes with that? And I don't know Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, believe it or not. So they, they could be very faithful Christians. They might not be. I don't know. Okay, I have my guesses, but I just don't know. What's the thing we actually live for? Yeah, eternal life. Even if we're not famous and rich and wealthy here in this world, we look forward to what is to come. And the lie that comes with that is, this is what's best for you. But that's not actually true. Maybe that's a silly example, but it's the same way Satan is working in all of these things. Okay, everybody's quiet now because they're all Kansas City Chiefs fans. Pastor Poppy is the biggest Chiefs fan there is. So that's why he had to step in after we talked about it. Because otherwise he'd be offended. Okay, okay. All right. So we talked about doubt. We talked about contradiction. The lie. So the doubt Satan put into Eve's mind was did God really say this or not? And then the contradiction is God said you will die, but that's not what's going to happen. And now the lie. God knows that when you eat from this tree that your eyes will be opened and you will be like him. Now how is this a lie? You will be like him. Okay. Were Adam and Eve already like him in some ways? What ways? They'd live forever, and that's a progressing forward sort of eternity, which is a little different than God's, but it's true. Were they holy? Were they good? Were they righteous? Were they blessed? They had all these things that were mirroring God. In fact, we learned last time that Adam and Eve had the image of God. Remember we told you to memorize that verse? In the beginning God made them male and female, right? He created man in his image. Those words go together. And Adam and Eve had the image of God. The holiness, blessedness, righteousness, all that stuff that God had. They were not God, but they had those things. And Satan says, "You want to have those things? Do this." Throw out God and His Word. Okay, I saw a hand there for a second. Was that you, Corey? No? Okay. Okay, perfect. Ken's coming around with the basket for uh, uh, Michael Paul in Taiwan. So they had these things, and now Satan says, You want to have what you already have? Disobey God. Essentially, what he's saying is, God doesn't want you uh, to eat from this tree because it'll be too good for you. He doesn't want, God doesn't want good for you. He wants you to be stuck. He wants you to be a slave. He wants you to be caught up and unable to think for yourself. And in this way, Satan is telling them a lie. And the lie is the lie that rules our world right now in many ways. You can be your own God if you want to. And this is what is fulfilled in all the hedonism we see in our world. Why do people do all the disgusting things that you see in the world today, including us? (laughs) Why do we do that? Because ultimately, who do we want to be God? Ourselves. Does that make sense? So the lie is there also. And with these things, then, Satan is undermining God's word. And that's the way that he is still working now. In that sense, Satan is a one trick pony. He's always, always, always attacking God's Word. He's very, very, very good at it, and I don't want you to think he's no big deal because he's a one-trick pony. But he's always, that's how he attacks us. That's how he's after us. That's how he undermines the Christian faith. Error. Opposition to what God's Word says. So, what's the way that you, as a Christian living today, ought to be on guard for this? Know God's Word. Know God's word. How do you know God's Word? Hearing, reading, Hearing, reading singing, right? We, one of the things we introduced uh, a couple months ago was a hymn of the month. Um, how did you learn the ABCs? Everybody can sing it, right? A, B, C, D, little star, how I... Oh, no, wait. <laughs> right? You learned it set to music. Why? Because it makes it easier for you to memorize so why do we sing hymns? Why should you sing hymns and memorize them and learn them? So that you have God's Word in your head in a way that you can remember it. And, and you, this happens whether you realize it or not, right? So memorize hymns. Read your Bible. Listen to faithful people reading the Bible. Listen to faithful people preaching on the Scriptures. You, as a Christian who have been made alive by the waters of baptism and by the Holy Spirit, you need to do these things. Okay? All right. Questions on that? Yes, Clint. I don't know if it fits in with the doubt or the contradict or the lie or all three, but there's got to be a grain of truth in it, otherwise it doesn't work. Yeah. From Satan's end, yeah. there's got to be a grain of truth. And this is, um, he said, there's, got to, there's usually a grain of truth in there. I'm going to say usually because you also have crazy people like... <laughs> um, I, I don't even want to talk about them, but there's crazy people out there who are not based on any truth. But ninety, they're open. They're, they're yes, ninety-nine percent of the time, there's a grain of truth in it, and I would even say most of the time, there's more than a grain of truth in it. Right? Even if it's ninety-nine percent right, and the last one percent has a problem, you should be wary of it. I think this is how we ended. Last, last week, talking about that. You want the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And that comes from God and His Word that reveals that to us. Alright, Tim. Other ways in which they were already like God is they already did, in a sense, no good and evil. They had the capability, before they fell, of sinning or not sinning. Um... You know, they also had uh, uh, self-awareness, intelligence, things like that. But, uh, More than us, yeah. And, uh, but, yeah, that one in particular was a really sneaky lie because they already had it. Amen. Amen. All right. Okay, we're going to keep plugging away then unless there's any other questions. We're going to read verse 6 and 7. Now, this is really neat because we see here, I think, some of the very first foundation in the Scriptures for the Lord's Supper in this section. And I'll show you why as we read it, okay? When the woman, uh, this is verse 6 and 7, okay? Oh, I've got to turn to the right page here. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now, think about how this has happened. When God made the man and put him in the garden... God spoke to the man and said what? Do you see all of these things? You can eat from all of these plants except for this one. So God's word is attached to that one tree. Do not eat from here. That's what God's word said. Now... The woman has heard a false sermon, a false teaching, a liar. And the liar said, what? The tree that you should eat from above all other trees is this one. And then he adds this on in a sense, because you see it happen in Eve. It looks good, doesn't it? Now, this is the thing with sin. Sin often looks good. Why does the person commit adultery? Because it looks good at the time. Why do you skip church sometimes? Because it... Looks good to sleep a little more. Why do you gossip about your neighbor? Because it seems like the right thing to do. It always looks right. Even if it's against God's word, it looks attractive, it looks beneficial, it looks like it will be good for you and your life if you do this thing against God's word. Now, the thing with looks is that looks can be deceiving. Looks can be deceiving. <laughs> I'm going to say this and I'll be in trouble again here. We see this every four years in our country, right? (laughs) When election season comes, it looks like this guy is going to solve all of our problems. (laughs) Looks can be deceiving. Okay? We shouldn't trust what we see with our eyes when it's opposed to what God's Word says. Instead, we should... Trust what we hear from where? From God. Only by God's word does this difference known. God's word is key already here in the very, very beginning of the creation. And where we see this come out in teaching us about the Lord's Supper is in this way. Okay? We have this now in the front of our church. A corpus up on the cross. When you look at it, what do you see? What's that? Do we see the Lord, Jesus? Is it beautiful? No, I mean, we could say it is artistically or whatever, but let's just... Let's have a real person hanging there. Is it beautiful? It's gruesome. Um, we we have this beautiful, clean Jesus, right? No mud or dirt. Very little blood that's on him. In reality, how was he? Have you seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ? Right where they try to very vividly depict how Christ might have looked after he had been flogged by soldiers, after he had been up for over 24 hours, after he had sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, after he had been forced to carry the wooden cross out to Golgotha, do you think he was as clean as we depict? Or as beautiful in that sense? And just the pure definition of what is beautiful and what is not. No. To our eyes, how does it look? And we hear this sometimes, right? Sometimes the arguments against having a crucifix are, it's offensive. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Okay. Why is it offensive? Because it does not look good. What if I told you to eat from the man hanging on the cross? Gross. (laughs) Pastor Poppy says roast. He said gross. I just. (laughs) It's it's gross. How many of you have eaten a dead person before? Okay. <laughs> Linda, raised her hand. <laughs> OK, Have you ever eaten a dead person? OK. <laughs> we were worried there for a second, Linda. That's OK. No, I'm just giving you a hard time. <clears throat> OK? How about this? What if he's not even quite dead yet? Should you eat him then while he's still alive? What do you think about the Donner Party from the Oregon Trail days? I think they did what they needed to do. They did what they needed to do. Was it good? No. Now God, with His Word, tells you what? Eat Jesus. Eat Jesus. The fruit of the tree of the cross, just like we sang in our opening hymn today. Eat Jesus. And God's Word says when you eat Jesus, is it good for you or bad for you? It's good. It brings you forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. It doesn't look like it would be good. It doesn't look like it's possible. But God's Word says we should And that it's good for us. Now compare this with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What's there? We always depict it with the same fruit. We don't know what kind of fruit it was. But there's a fruit. And what does Eve see in the fruit? It is pleasing to her eyes. And it looks like it would be good for food. This looks bad for food. The fruit looked good for food. God's word says, "Which one should you eat? Jesus. Jesus, and which one is not what you should eat? The forbidden fruit. You see how that's in uh, set up as in distinction from each other, okay? And that's what we sang in that opening hymn for today as well, okay? Because this is our theology." We eat Jesus in, with, and under the bread and wine. Every person in every little piece of bread gets the whole Jesus. Every person in every sip of wine gets the whole blood of Jesus. You get Jesus, and you eat Him, and it's good for you. Even if it doesn't look like it in the bread and in the wine, even if it doesn't look like it would be good, even if you could see what you were eating... God's Word brings that about. All right, Tim. It's not good for your own self, but that actually is also a way in which it's good for you. Sure. I don't want to go down that path too much, but I agree with you. <laughs> Just for the sake of time. Yeah. For the sake of time. I, I, I agree. That's why we practice closed communion. Okay, Tim. Tim. God is giving us of the bread and the wine which is Christ, which He says is his body and blood. Right. And and that's even the accusation that was brought against Christians in the, the Roman period that they were cannibals. And and it's I asked you, would you eat a living person? <laughs> right? When we eat Christ's body and blood, we're eating the living resurrected Jesus. That's how we get life from it. Because in that sense you are what you eat. And with yes. It there is a mystery aspect to it because it doesn't make any sense to our minds, to science. There's no way you can see it. But this is the truth according to God's word. The tree of life of the cross. And now we eat of it as Adam and Eve should have. And then, by God's grace in our life, we seek not to eat from what Satan says is good with his lies. Even if it looks good to our eyes, we don't, we we seek to not do those things. Alright, am I making sense or am I diving too deep here? Okay, Tim, real quick. Okay, uh when Adam and David were they were already told that they were not too deep of the fruit of the knowledge that they would Correct. But from that. Uh but and or they would die. So the law, God was already giving them the law prior to Satan. Tim, Yep, yep. But Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So they eat from the tree which they should not eat. What happens? Okay. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Okay, their eyes were opened. But they found out that that wasn't as good as they had thought. Because what do they see? That they were naked. Now, weren't they naked before? Yeah, remember when we talked about marriage? Okay, Uh, chapter 2, verse 25. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They have been naked always. But now they see it and they feel something about it. Okay, if you accidentally came to church this morning naked... And everybody saw you naked. Let's just do it this way for fun. He's sitting in the front. If Pastor Poppy came to church naked, and we all saw him that way, okay, how would he feel, and how would all of us feel seeing him that way? We we would all be washing our eyes with bleach, right? (laughs) How would you feel, Pastor Poppy? (laughs) he would feel he would feel shame shame okay now Adam and Eve feel shame in their nakedness where before they did not what is different okay to understand this think about your kids when your kid does something naughty and you catch them even when they're like little toddlers and you say hey You shouldn't do that. What does the kid do? They look down. They give you that look, right? The puppy dog eyes. Why? Because they've done something wrong and they got caught. They feel shame. Adam and Eve have done something wrong. And because they know that now, because they are sinners now, they feel the shame that sin brings upon people. Now, when people feel shame, what do they often try to do? When you were the kid playing football in the living room, mom and dad weren't home, but they've told you, don't play football in the living room, and you break the lamp... What did you try to do before mom and dad got home? Hide the evidence evidence or fix it. You're going to get the super glue out and then you're glued to a broken lamp instead of fixing it. You try to hide and cover up what it is that you have done. This is self-justification. And Adam and Eve tried to do this as well. They see their sin because they feel shame about their nakedness. And so what do they do? They weave together fig leaves in an effort to make loincloths to cover up their nakedness. They seek to justify themselves by their own actions. Now I'm going to give this away. Is this going to work? No. No. Okay, and, and we see this later on. Okay, um, the next verse, verse 8. They hear God walking in the garden, coming near. This is like hearing the garage door open after you've broken the lamp. And you look at how you've tried to glue it back together, and you can still see that it was broken. So then you do... What? You already said it. You hide it. <laughs> Because your glue job wasn't enough to make it well. And Adam and Eve, when they hear God coming, they look at their fig leaves and they say, this will never work. (laughs) And they jump in the bushes to try and hide their shame even more. And even that doesn't work. And all of us do this. We all try to justify ourselves. Okay? When you get pulled over by the police for speeding and they say did you know how fast you were going what do you do what do you say I didn't see the speed limit limit sign as if that makes it okay for you to break the law or what else I was running late for work Or, I didn't pay attention. That one I don't recommend, okay? I've never gotten a speeding ticket, but it doesn't sound to me like that would work well. (laughs) Okay? You tell some sort of justification for the thing that you've done that is wrong. And it's not just speeding. It's for all sin. People do this. Right? Why are you trying to live your life as the opposite gender. Well, that's what I feel inside. Why is it that you commit adultery? Well, my spouse wasn't making me happy. Why is it that you gossiped about your neighbor? Well, they did this thing and I was warning someone else. Why do you skip church? Because I stayed out too late and I was really tired and I wouldn't have been able to focus anyways. For all sin, we all are self-justifiers, just like Adam and Eve were. We try to hide what we've done or to say some sort of a word that's usually a lie to make what we did okay, even though, what did God say? You shall not do this But instead, you should do that. Every single person here, and I hope you're not offended by me saying that, including me, we all do this all the time. All the time. All right, I saw a hand. Sandy? I have always wondered if once they sinned, their thoughts changed and they were having unclean thoughts. And that's why they were, they were looking at each other? I think they probably are, right? Um, but We have to be a little careful with that in this way. So Sandy's question was, she always thought that after they had fell into sin, they had to make clothes because they were looking at each other and thinking impure thoughts. I agree they are thinking impure thoughts. But we have to be careful with that because because of this. So I hope you don't get uncomfortable. Who invented sex? Who built bodies to have sex Mm -hmm. with other bodies? Man and woman within marriage. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. So we have to be careful because there are some people who today teach that... The act of having sex with your spouse is sinful in its very nature, and it's not. But when, when they fall into sin and then they look at each other, yes, all the shame that sin brings now is also brought into the things that take place within sex and every other aspect of their life. Does that sound all right? Okay. Doctor? Doctor? I look at the corpus now, I feel guilt for my sin to a level I didn't feel before the corpus was there. Uh, you know, and, uh, because it's my sin that helped literally. Yeah, he says he, when he sees the corpus now, he feels guilt for his sin. And I think that there's nothing wrong with that as well, as long as you also see what is happening on the cross it brings you the forgiveness for that sin. You take communion and then you feel it's washed away. Right. You take communion and feel that it's taken away. Absolutely. So don't only see guilt when you see the cross. Also see God knew your sin and did what was necessary to pay the price for it that you might have forgiveness, life, and salvation in his name. Okay. And in a sense, so I told you in real life, Jesus was probably much messier than this. Okay? Um, In that sense, it's probably good that we depict him less messy because what is he bringing us by his death? All the mess that he has actually belongs to who? Us. Us. And so he takes our mess and we get his purity. So so artistically, we could say that's part of the reason as well that he's depicted not as messy as real life. Okay, good thoughts. Other questions? Now what I want to close with See that this is how Satan is working today. Something looks good to your eyes, and he says that it is. And it's a lie. He undermines God's Word. He brings doubt into your heart. This is how he works. Know this. This is how he's working with these big issues of our day. Transgenderism homosexuality, theft, and greed. Uh, he's working this way in the political world when he says you'll be saved by the person you elect because that's not true, only by Jesus. He does this in the religious world also. Okay, um, Both of these things, if you go all the way back, we talk about those three estates. They're in that third estate. Okay. He even allows 90% of it to be true, as Pastor Poppy said, with the last 10% having the lies in it. Right? So a really good example of this is Mormonism. They use all of our vocabulary. The 10% that's wrong <laughs> are what they mean by those things. There's more to it than that. I'm oversimplifying. Okay, Mormonism is an example of this. It has some things that are taken from our scriptures, but the end results are lies. Even um, false teaching in church bodies that don't believe God's Word is true. Okay? The conclusions are wrong. This is how Satan works. He wants you to fall again the same way that Adam and Eve did. Um, Because as we fall into sin... It hurts our faith. It hurts our faith when we sin. Knowingly, unknowingly, day in and day out, it hurts our faith. That's why we should seek not to sin and seek to do what's right and to live as a Christian. We will never do so perfectly in this world. Never. But we seek to do so, and when we fail, we bring it to Christ, confession absolution. We eat what doesn't look good to our eyes, but God's word says is very good, and we wash our sins away in the waters of baptism. That then is our life until such time as Christ brings this world to its end, destroys it by fire, raises us from the dead, and... We live forever in a place where sin slowly becomes a memory from further and further and further ago. All right. Any final questions real quick? All right. Next week we're going to then look at how God addresses Adam and Eve And that's going to teach us the foundation. Remember, we had foundation for the Lord's Supper today. We're going to see the foundation for confession and absolution in this. Okay? Because we still act like Adam and Eve, but God wants us to confess our sins and to have them forgiven. We're going to see that. And then we'll probably get into the first promise of Jesus as well. So, you see, now all the sacraments have their foundation in these first three chapters of Genesis, and our entire faith is founded there as well. All right. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.